Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I want to talk to you about God's faithfulness. Have you ever focused on something, some circumstance or situation? It could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue, whatever it is. And your mind, you pray, but you know your mind is kind of more on the issue than it really is on God. And you're anxious and you're stressed and your stomach gets in knots and you're fearful. And and it may last days, it may last weeks, it may last months. And sometimes it even goes for years. Okay, not fun. And then finally God does deliver you or or bring resolution to it. And you look back and you thought, what did I do? I mean, God, you are so faithful, you are so good. And I, I wasted all that negative energy and I all, was miserable for all that time period. But God was still faithful, wasn't He? And so it's a lesson learned. And we're going to do that the rest of our lives. Because the Scripture says we're going to fall short. We fall short. Um, we want to be focused more and more on God and less and less on our circumstances as we go through life. I think that's the goal. I remember one time... Uh, this was several years ago. I had a uh, medical a health issue. And, um, I mean, I was in a lot of pain, uh, just tremendous pain. And, and it was just a very difficult time. And I remember being, I was teaching at Heritage High School, and I left one day in tears. It was so hard. And I just, I got up, I told the administrator I had to go, and I just left. I walked out, and I drove to the doctor. And... Um, I, I battled this health issue for years, and it was a lot of pain. And as my mind researched it, and, um, you know, in my mind it's like, it's not going to be healed. I, I could not see a way out of it. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I cried out to God. But I also, set my, I also focused on the circumstances and, and my pain, and, oh, is this ever going to be healed? And I mean, we're talking years, so you kind of go up and down like a yo-yo emotionally when you... When you kind of set your sight on God, then you fall down and you set your sight on your circumstances. But finally, God brought me through it and, and brought a, a pretty, pretty big victory with that situation. I'm still trusting Him for full healing. But, you know, we do that. And um, the goal is to be focused more and more on Him. And so today I want to talk to you about God's faithfulness. Um, through the difficult situations of our life. And I want to use Jacob, the story of Jacob, as an illustration of God's faithfulness uh, as we go through this message today. Um, Let's take a look at God's faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. This is Moses speaking. He says, "...know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God." the faithful God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness to the thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Alright, so we're reading that God is the faithful God. He's introducing Himself to this nation called Israel. And one of His big introduction points here is God saying, Hey, I am the faithful God. If you want to know who I am, that's what I am. I'm faithful. So, what does the word faithful mean? Well, the Hebrew word actually means to be trustworthy, to be reliable, to confirm, okay? So, it's comforting to know that God is faithful, 
But it's even more comforting to know specifically what is God faithful for or to, or how is God faithful in our lives. And let's go back and look at this scripture again. It says, He is God, the faithful God. Okay, how is He faithful? In what way? Who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to those who love Him. Okay, so in other words, God is faithful to keep His promises. That makes sense, right? So we need to know what are the promises of God. Well, in this situation, God had made a covenant with Moses that He would bless them, He would keep them, He would make it rain, their crops would come forth, He would bless them, right? That was God's promise if they would obey Him. And God is faithful to complete, He is faithful to commit to the covenant promises He makes. Now the question is, well, what if I sin? I mean, does God withhold His faithfulness from me if I sin? And the answer is no. Remember in uh, 2 Timothy, I think it is 2.13, Paul said to Timothy, um, if we are faithless, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. That's good news. So if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He can't change. He's perfect. He's perfectly trustworthy. If he says it, it's going to happen even if we fall away. That's comforting, isn't it? Okay. So God is faithful. And I want to illustrate his faithfulness now. We're going to, we're going to uh, go through the story of Jacob and Joseph. Um, normally when people talk about and teach on Jacob and Joseph, who gets the focus? I mean, Joseph... It's all Joseph, and rightly so. I mean, the story of Joseph, other than Christ, is one of the most amazing stories in all of Scripture. I mean, it's just everything's in it. Um, So Jacob kind of gets left behind, so I want to focus on Jacob today. Joseph's still going to be there, but we're going to focus on uh, Jacob. And I want to show you, um, really what I'm going to focus on with Jacob is, I'm going to illustrate his shortcomings... And then I'm going to show you how God's faithfulness just comes in at the end and just takes over the situation. I mean, you've heard the situation where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Well, where Jacob's shortcomings abounded, you're going to see how God's faithfulness comes in like a flood in the end. This is awesome. You're really going to like this. So let's start the story um, of Jacob and... I'm going to start it with uh, Jacob and where he showed favoritism to Joseph. Okay, so let me just give you a little background information. You remember that Jacob went to Mesopotamia. That's where he was from originally. Remember, Esau was going to kill him. And so Rebekah sends him, hey, go to my brother Laban. Okay, and live there and take a wife. So he goes there and he sees Rachel. He falls head over heels in love with Rachel. I mean, he is, I mean, he's, let's read what the scripture says here. Um, Genesis 29, 7. I'm sorry, Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Okay, so, I mean, can you imagine working seven years for somebody, guys? 
Um, so then you know the story. Uh, Laban pulls the old switcheroo on him on wedding night. He wakes up with, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Uh, so Jacob's a little upset. He goes to Laban and says, hey, you give me Rachel. He said, all right, I'll give you Rachel, but you need to serve seven more years, and here's Rachel. So he does get his beloved Rachel, but now he's got to work a total of 14 years. All right, you know the story. Um, eventually, Jacob, Jacob is away from Canaan. Okay, God wants Jacob in Canaan. So God tells Jacob in a dream once he's, he's in uh, Paddan Aram, actually. And God says, hey, Jacob, I want you to go back to Canaan. Okay, and... Uh, you remember Jacob's like, he's kind of apprehensive. He's like, well, okay, God, I'll go back. I'll, I will make you my God if you can bring me safely back to Canaan. Okay, remember Jacob made that vow? If you, if you bless me, God, and keep me safe, I'll go back. So uh, Jacob, Jacob makes the journey back. Laban comes after him, and God preserves him from Laban, right? And then Esau comes at him with 400 men. God preserves him from Esau, and Jacob uh, arrives safely back in Canaan, right? And you remember, um, once he gets back there, he sets up an altar. And the altar says, uh, he names the altar El Elohe Israel, which means the God, the God of Israel. In other words, hey, he's no longer Abraham's God. He's no longer Isaac's God. He's my God too. So Jacob fulfilled his vow. Jacob has a great, this could be Jacob's conversion moment. He's making a formal declaration. I, Jacob, am choosing to serve the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. He is now the God of Israel. All right, so great moment of faith, great moment of victory for Jacob. Sounds good. He's walking by faith. Okay. All right, but there's a problem. Uh, you remember uh, Jacob had married Leah and Rachel, and you remember that uh, Leah gave birth to a whole bunch of sons. Well, Rachel's womb was, Rachel was barren, so she couldn't have sons at first. So as they, you know, they each give their maids, uh, Bilhag uh, conceives, and then Zilpah conceives, and all these kids are born. And finally, God opens Rachel's womb, and she has Joseph, okay? And then once she gets back to Canaan, she has Benjamin. Okay, so the two special sons, okay, uh, Rachel is Jacob's favorite uh, wife. Um, so Joseph is born from the favorite wife, and Benjamin is born from the favorite wife. And you remember, um, Rachel dies right after she has Benjamin in Canaan, so it's kind of a sad moment. All right, so that's a little background information. Uh, I want to move now to Jacob showing favoritism to Joseph, okay? So that was a little background information. Um, you guys remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph is favored by his father. His father makes this uh, very variegated or multicolored coat. Let's see what the Scripture says here about that. Um, let's look in 37.3, 3 through 4. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. 
Okay, Parenting 101, you don't love one son more than the other son. Okay, so Jacob is in the process of violating Parenting Rule 101. He makes this special tunic for Joseph, but not the other boys. And Joseph, of course, was born from Rachel, who was Jacob's favorite wife. Okay, not good to have a favorite wife, man. Wait, we're not even allowed to have two wives, are we? Okay. (laughs) Okay, let's keep reading here. Verse 4. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Okay. And so they hated him. All right, so there's consequences to violating that parent tip. And they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Okay, so not good. Jacob is showing his favoritism here towards Joseph. And then, you know, Joseph has his dream, right? He dreamed that his sheaves stood up straight and all, everybody else's sheaves bowed down to his. And then he dreamt that the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to him. Okay, so not only does he dream it, then he goes and tells him, Hey guys, I know you hate me, but check out my dream. Uh, so Joseph's wisdom could be questioned here on uh, his sharing of his dream to his brothers who already hated him, well, that makes them hate him even more. So they want to kill him now. All right, so you guys know the story. So Joseph uh, is sent by his father. The brothers are all out in the field. So Jacob says, hey, go check on your brother. So Joseph goes out and says, hey, guys, it's me, (laughs) the fave. Um, So they see him coming. They plot to kill him. They throw him in the pit. And they said, well, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him down to, uh, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders that are coming along and, and we'll just get rid of him that way. So they sell Joseph. He goes down to Egypt. So now the brothers have this problem. What are we going to tell dad about his favorite son? Well, they come up with this uh, devious plan where they take his pretty uh, colored tunic and they kill an animal and they smear blood on it and They say, all right, let's take it to dad and just say an animal has killed him. So they bring the coat to dad. So how do you think dad is going to react to this? Not very good, huh? Let's see what the scripture says. Let's look in 37, uh, 33 through 35. They show Jacob the tunic. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Okay, wait a minute. Was Joseph torn to pieces? This is a pretty, pretty confident statement from Jacob, right? Joseph is torn to pieces. That's it. Okay, let's keep reading. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his sons many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol, Sheol means the grave, in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Well, that's natural. I mean, you know, wouldn't we do the same thing if that happened to us? I mean, you know, wouldn't you be sad if you thought your son was dead? Well, there's, only a, there's a problem here. What Jacob does right here is going to set the tone 
for his life. It's going to set the quality of his life, his emotional stability um, for the next 22 years. Okay, so what he's about to do here is going to make him miserable for 22 years. Okay, what does he do? He sees a cloak. He sees a tunic. It's got blood on it. He hears a negative report. Your son is dead. He chooses to believe the negative report. He sees the tunic with blood. What's he doing? Is he walking by faith or is he walking by sight? I mean, can you see a classic, I mean, a classic situation here of, of that definition of faith? Um, it really is 22 years he's going to be miserable. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to walk you through 22 years of his life, and I'm going to walk you through his misery, because then finally, when you're down in the dumps with Jacob, and then God's faithfulness comes in, we're going to be encouraged. And we're going to be built up. Okay. All right, so Jacob makes a decision. He refuses comfort. And he makes a pronounce, he actually pronounces something over himself. He basically said, I'm not going to be happy until I die. I'm going down to the grave. I'm going to despair until I die. That's what he's. You guys remember the scripture, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jacob is now thinking in his heart, I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. My son is gone. Well, guess what he's going to be? Miserable. He's going to be miserable. All right, so let's fast forward to Joseph down in Egypt. Okay? So you guys know Joseph went to Egypt. He uh, was sold to Potiphar. Uh, He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown in prison. He interprets some dreams in prison. And eventually Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. You know, seven years of plenty for the land, seven years of famine. So the uh, chief uh, cupbearer says, hey, I remember this guy, Joseph. He could interpret dreams. So Joseph said, or Pharaoh says, hey, bring him out. So Joseph comes out, interprets the dreams correctly, and now Joseph is ruling Egypt under Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? This is an amazing story. All right. So uh, seven years of plenty come, and Joseph collects all the grain, right? So now the seven years of famine start, And the famine affects not only Egypt, which is in the south, but goes all the way up north, way up into Canaan, where Jacob is. So they're getting hungry, and Jacob says to his sons one day, hey, we're going to die up here without this food. Go down to Egypt and get some food. So they're like, okay. And he's like, well, Benjamin is, is not going with you. You remember whose son was Benjamin? Rachel. Okay, the, the other favorite son. All right, so let's see. What does Jacob say about this? Let's look in um, 42, uh, 4. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. So Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob was so focused on his favorite son, Joseph, that when Joseph disappeared, what happened to him? He's devastated. So now, the other favorite little darling, Benjamin, he isn't, isn't going to let him go. But the problem is, Jacob still hasn't learned his lesson. He's transferring his focus of, from Joseph, and he's now transferring it on to Benjamin. Okay? So, I mean, lesson there is, you know, God sometimes knows that we clutch things, 
And so sometimes it might have to be taken away from us so we can say, oh, maybe I need to uh, lean more on God than these things, right? Or whatever they are. Okay, so Benjamin ain't going anywhere. So the brothers go down to Egypt land. Uh, Joseph's down there. Joseph recognizes them immediately. Uh, they don't recognize Joseph. It's been a while. And of course, Joseph is shaven and dressed like the Egyptians. So Joseph is amazed. And uh, he starts talking with the brothers. And the brothers say, well, you know, uh, there's 12 of us. there were 12 of us. One died. And, and the youngest one is, is with his father up in Canaan. And we came down to get some food. And Joseph's like, okay. So fill their sacks up with food. And... Uh, then he accuses them of being spies. Okay, Joseph is now testing them. And he's saying, you know what, you're spies. And he said, no, 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 we're not. He said, yes, yes, you are. The only way you're going to validate your story to me is go, go back to Canaan and bring down Benjamin, and I'll see if your story's true. We'll see about this. And by then, <laughs> the brothers are like, oh, no, this isn't good. This isn't good. All right, so... And Joseph's like, and to make sure you come back here, I'm taking Simeon hostage. Give me this guy. You guys go, take your food, bring back this young guy. Don't come back to me unless he's with you. Okay, so Joseph is testing the brothers to see how they're going to be able to handle these favorite sons. So Joseph, you can imagine the, the brothers, they're in rough shape. I mean... What are they thinking as they, travel, as they travel hundreds of miles back? They're going to face their father, and they're going to have to say, hey, we need your other favorite son to go down to Egypt land. Okay, let's see what uh, Jacob's reaction is here in verse uh, 36. So they go up to Jacob, and they present the demands of Joseph. And it says, their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more wrong, and Simeon is no more wrong, and you would, have, and you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Ever see someone with a victim mentality? Have you ever had a victim mentality? Life is against me? Yeah. Yeah, we've been there. Okay, do you see how Joseph, is he getting any, or I'm sorry, Jacob's not getting any better. He's spiraling downhill. He's got this victim mentality. Everything's against him. He can't believe it. We're all going to die. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, you may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. Okay, so Reuben's stepping up to the plate. He's going to uh, try to bring some comfort here. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead wrong, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. So Jacob keeps reiterating this negativity. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in misery. This is terrible. I can't believe this. Oh, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> Poor Jacob. Okay, so they don't go down. They don't go down. Well, hunger has a way of changing your mind. Uh, the famine kept getting worse and worse, and Jacob's like, all right, we're going to die anyway. So um, he says, all right, take Benjamin down with you and uh, go down. And, 
And Judah actually came to the plate. Judah actually said, hey, listen, if anything happens to Benjamin, it's on me. I'm going to take full responsibility for him. So there's actually some maturity here going on with Reuben and Judah, who were previously scoundrels, really, uh, which is some good news. So there is some change of heart going on uh, kind of behind the scenes here. All right, so they're going to go down. They're going to go down to Joseph. So they go back down to him, and uh, they see Joseph, and they bring Benjamin down. And you can imagine Joseph is elated to see his younger brother, whom he hasn't seen in all these years. And then he feeds them all, and then guess who gets the bigger portion? Rachel's favorite son, Benjamin. And Joseph is really putting it to him, all right? He wants to see how they're going to react with these favorite sons. So Benjamin eats well. And then you remember Joseph, um, he puts food in their sacks and he tells his servant, he says, hey, take my silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack. Okay, he does this covertly. So they do that and he sends them all back up to uh, Canaan. And then he sends his servant after him and they go after him and they, they make him open all their sacks and the servant accuses them of stealing the silver cup and they can't believe it. And finally they find this cup on Benjamin of all people. And so they bring him back to Joseph and Joseph said, the one that stole my cup is my slave. Oh, the brothers are thinking this can't be happening. I mean, this is like a nightmare. So... Jacob says he's my slave. Here, take the food. It's, it's amazing. In the, script, in the text, Joseph says, go in peace. It's like, are you kidding me? Like these brothers are going to go back to Egypt knowing that without Benjamin, their dad's going to die. Um, so that's exactly what he said, though. So Judah, Judah's coming through, though. Judah... Judas is going to step up to the plate. Check out what Judas says here. Um, let's see, we're in 44.27. Let's take a look at that here. Okay, Judah is going to intervene uh, for Benjamin. So this is pretty cool. I mean, Judah, hey, let's kill Joseph. Now Judah's having a change of heart. Let's see what he says. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went from me. And I have said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. I mean, Judah's relating what Jacob has said. Uh, he's relating that to Joseph. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, Joseph, since his life is bound up with the lad's life, when he sees the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. All right, go Judah. Now, I don't know how much guilt Judah is acting out of, but you know, Judah's stepping up to the plate now. <clears throat> and he's, he's interceding for Benjamin, the other favorite son. So that's a good thing. Uh, so Joseph hears what Judah says. Joseph can't take it. He loses it. He runs out of there. He, he goes, he locks himself in his chamber. He sobs so loudly and violently, it says all of Pharaoh's palace hears him. I mean, he just loses it. Finally, he gets himself together. He comes back. 
He sends everybody else out of the room and he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine that? Just incredible. So they have this reunion. I mean, they're stunned at first. It's like, yeah, right, you're Joseph. Then, he, of course, <laughs> um, he reveals himself to them. And you can imagine the reunion that they have with him. And uh, finally, you know, Joseph makes this famous line, you know, what you meant for evil, God worked for good, and God has sent me down here to preserve life. I mean, just awesome, awesome. So Joseph says, hey, go back up and bring Jacob. Bring the whole family down because the famine, there's still five more years. It's only going to get worse. So bring them all down. So he sends his chariots uh, to go up to carry Jacob down and the clan down. And so they go up. So finally they're going back to Canaan with a good report. (laughs) They don't have to go back and bring any more bad news to their father. So they get up there to Jacob and listen to what they say. Uh, 46, I'm sorry, 45, 25. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he's ruling over all of Egypt. Really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) You would never believe that. None of us would believe that. All of our faith would lapse hearing that statement. Guarantee. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. No kidding. Okay, what's about to happen is the victory, okay? 22 years... And you can, you can read the scripture. I'm not going to prove it to you. But it's been 22 years since uh, Joseph went down to Egypt and Jacob was miserable and despairing. Look what God is about to do for Jacob. When they told him all the words Joseph that had spoken to them and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. 22 years of a broken spirit. 22 years of despair. 22 years of hopelessness. 22 years of misery. 22 years of a victim mentality. Woe is me. And now his spirit starts to revive. Isn't God faithful? I mean, God is good. God is, he's not going to let Jacob go out in that state. And that's encouraging to us. Okay, that's the first thing he does. Guys, what he's going to do, Jacob has not been able to pick himself up, so to speak, and walk by faith. Jacob is lost in a spiral of misery, and only God can literally pull him out of it. God is going to send a wave, and it's going to pick Jacob up on this wave of encouragement, wave of faithfulness, and it's going to bring him all the way down into Egypt and all the way down to his death, and it's going to be awesome. So now we get to trace the wave. You ready for the wave? Okay, so Jacob's spirit is revived. That's the first thing. Second thing, um, right as they're about to go down to Egypt, God speaks to Jacob. Has anyone in here ever had God speak to you? I don't mean verbally, although he could. In your mind and in your heart, you know that you know that you know that God spoke to you, right? Is that encouraging or what? I mean, there's nothing... It's like, all of a sudden, wow, God spoke to me? 
this is awesome. <laughs> wow, God spoke to me. I mean, you, you're excited, right? Well, God speaks to Jacob. Look at uh, 46, 2 through 4. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. What's he doing? Hey, Jacob, I made a covenant with Abraham. I made it with Isaac, and I made it with you, and you believed me. Well, guess what? All your misery, I'm going to be faithful to complete it. And in my faithfulness, I need to spare all of Israel's lives because you need to be as numerous as the sand of the sea. So I'm going to make sure you get safely down to Egypt, Jacob. I'm going to take care of you. That's what he's saying to Jacob. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. What do you mean, Joseph will close your eyes? If you could pick your death the way you're going to die, my guess is most of us would want to be with our loved ones, right? You don't want to be in a hospital. You don't want to be in a nursing home. You don't want to have some terrible disease, right, that's just ravaging your body. I mean, that just sounds terrible, doesn't it? You want, to, you want to go naturally in peace in the comfort of your family. Well, when God said, and Joseph will close your eyes, that's exactly what he meant. Hey, you're going to be with your family members. It's going to be peaceful, comforting, and you're going to go out fully restored, full of my faithfulness, and that's how you're going out. I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, that God would say that over us. May it be so. Okay, so he goes down and he sees Joseph. Can you imagine the reunion? And you can read about it. I mean, they fall on each other's necks as was their custom. They're just, they're bawling their eyes out. That's all they can do. At God's goodness. God is so good. God is so faithful. And so now do you see how God is just restoring and healing Jacob's mind. It's been so tormented for all these years. Wow. But what's neat, not only is God reviving Jacob's spirit, but God is going to restore Jacob's ministry. What do we call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They're the fathers of the faith, right? We call them patriarchs. Well, allow me to define the office of a patriarch, right? Abraham, we, I mean, a patriarch is someone who basically uh, believes God and ministers to a large group of people uh, the promises of God. So Jacob now is going to be restored to the office of patriarch. All right, so Joseph, he's with Joseph, and Joseph's like, hey, Dad, check out my boss. It's Pharaoh. He runs the world. <laughs> so, okay, that's pretty cool. Let's see what happens when Jacob, the patriarch, meets Pharaoh, the ruler of the known world. Okay, we're in 47.7 now. Then, jo- then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Just a twinge of bitterness coming through there. But 
uh, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Jacob blessed who? The despised, smelly Hebrew? Because the scripture said that the Egyptians abhor the Hebrews. All right, the most powerful man who abhors the lowliest Jew gets blessed by this. Remember, the scripture says that the, uh, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Well, who's the greater in this situation? Jacob. Jacob is greater than Pharaoh. God has given him the spiritual authority in the situation to stretch out his hand and say, Pharaoh, God has spoken to me. God has made a covenant with me. My clan is going to be as more numerous than all the grains of sand on the earth. Through my clan is coming a Messiah. Through my clan is coming the salvation of the entire earth. Pharaoh, I will lay my hands on you and bless you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I see how it is. Do you see how God has restored the office of patriarch in Jacob? That's intense, isn't it? I mean, Jacob is now fully functioning. He's, he's no longer wallowing in the mire of unbelief. I mean, he is exercising his gifts. That's exciting. But it doesn't stop there. All of a sudden, Jacob is blown away because he gets to see his grandchildren. He gets to see Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he has a moment where he blesses them. Let's take a look at that. 48, uh, 15. So, he, I mean, he is just, he is patriarch all over the place now. He is just functioning just like God designed him. Okay, verse 15. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Does that sound like Joseph earlier on? He has a complete change of view. Hey, he's looking back now saying, you know what? God's been with me the entire time. And all those years I was so down. God is my shepherd. All my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a nice positive confession of faith here. Bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He's speaking the covenant blessings by faith like God wants him to do. And we are sitting in this assembly today as a direct result of the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because we are Abraham's offspring because we have walked by faith. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. If Jacob could have known, and I, I bet he had some sense that something bigger than him was going on. We're still not done, though. The patriarch is just getting warmed up. He's still got some more to do. It's time for him to die, right? So who does he call? He calls all the sons to him. Bring them to me. He's, he's fired up now. He's got faith. In uh, 49... Um, 33, I'm sorry, not 49, 33. Uh, you remember, Jacob brings all his sons to himself. He's going to prophesy over all of his sons. He's going to speak a blessing and speak prophecy. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, he is setting the course of history by speaking the word of God over his family. I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome. 
All right, so finally, it's his time. He, he speaks blessings over his sons. I'm not going to read all those blessings, but they're encouraging and they're incredible. Finally, it's time to go. 49.33. Let's see what happens. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Hey, Jacob, Joseph's going to close your eyes. Isn't that awesome? He's with all his sons. What was his last act on earth? He's prophesying the course of history. And then with his family, full of faith, full of joy, full of power, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he closes his eyes. There's no cancer. There's no weird diseases in him. That's the way to go out. And God has that for us too, doesn't he? if we walk by faith. But even if we fall short, God is faithful, isn't He? I mean, can you see God's faithfulness in this man? He was wretched. And he couldn't bring himself out of it. And he he was a man of God. He believed. He he had his testimony. He, He had faith. But great is thy faithfulness. I mean, he is... God is so good. I have a story. You know, it's it's hard to beat that story, isn't it? You can't beat that story. It's scripture. But I have a story. Um, I think I'm going to read it. It's two minutes. This is kind of a modern... Some similarities to the Jacob story, okay? It's, It's not perfectly parallel. But I want to read this to you because you might think, well, you know, that was almost 3,000 years ago. And um, what about us living in the church age today? Um, I'll probably lose it reading this. Every time I, I read it, I lose it. But I'll try to control myself. It's just that amazing. Because God is, it's, it's because God is amazing. That's why it's so amazing. That's why I lose it. That's why you'll lose it, because God is just so amazing. <laughs> okay, there's a, I'm going to give you a, a missionary story, okay? This is kind of parallel to the Jacob story. <clears throat> this is a story about a man named David and his wife, Savea Flood. Okay, so this is in uh, 1921. Uh, they were a missionary couple, and they went with their two-year-old son uh, to what was then called the Belgian Congo. Okay, And they met up with another Scandinavian couple who they were going to minister with in the Belgian Congo. Um, <clears throat> so they go to this uh, place, and then they decide, all right, they're going to go into a remote area and minister. Okay, this was a huge step of faith for them um, because there's a, this village called Indolera. Um, the, one of the chiefs wouldn't let them come in. He kind of rebuked them. And he thought uh, they would alienate all the different gods, so he didn't want this, this couple coming in, worshiping this other god to come in. So the couples had to live away from this little village of Endalera. Um, so the two couples, they went about a half a mile up a slope, and they built their own mud huts. They prayed, though, for a spiritual breakthrough and uh, didn't see any. And the only contact they were allowed to have with this village um, was with a young boy. And the young boy was allowed to bring them food. He would sell them chickens and eggs. 
a couple of times a week. So Savea Flood, she was a woman. She was about four foot, eight inches tall, real short woman. She decided, well, if this is the only person we can minister to, then so be it. So they minister to this boy, and they lead him to the Lord. So this little boy. Okay, so then they have some, uh, some bad things that start to happen. Malaria uh, begins to uh, strike the people in the mission, the missionaries that are there. Um, and the time the Ericsons, that's the other missionary couple they were with, uh, they have enough suffering, so they decide they return to the central mission statement. Remember, they were living out in a mud hut. So David and Sevilla flood. They remained near this village of Endalera, and they go, they're going at it alone. Well, then what happens is Sevilla finds herself pregnant, and she gives birth to a, uh, a little girl, and the chief allowed a, a midwife to come and, and help her give birth. Uh, so the little girl was born. They named her Ayan. Okay, A-I-N, Ayan. Uh, but through the delivery, uh, which exhausted this woman, uh, she ends up dying because um, it was just too much for her. And then her husband, he just lost it uh, in, a, in a negative way. He just kind of snapped. And it was just too much for him, the, the malaria, the rejection, his wife, everything. So he digs a grave, he buries his wife. He took his uh, children back down the mountain to the mission statement <clears throat> station. He gives his newborn daughter to the, uh, this other mission couple. Here, take her. And he says, um, he says, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. And obviously I can't take care of this baby. God's ruined my life. So he goes back. He's given up on God. He's, he's just... It's, you know, God's done this to me, and this is, this is just too much for me. So with that, he, he goes back. He's uh, rejecting not only calling, not only on his calling, but he's rejecting God himself. So within eight months, the Ericsons were also stricken with disease, and they die. Remember, the Ericsons are watching this little girl, Ayan. So everyone's dying here. The baby was turned over to an... Uh, some other missionaries that were there um, who changed her name from Ayan to Aggie. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> these were American missionaries now. And so they eventually brought her back to the United States at the age of three years old. So they loved this little girl. And they were afraid to go back to Africa because um, possibly the legal obstacles and being separated from, this, from little Aggie. So they just stay stateside and... Uh, so Aggie grows up in South Dakota. Uh, as a young, young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. And she, married, she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Okay? So the girl who was born in Belgian Congo is now getting married to this guy named Dewey Hurst. Years pass, and the Hursts have a uh, fruitful ministry. Aggie gives birth to her first daughter and then a son. And in time, her husband becomes president of a Christian college in Seattle. And uh, Aggie was intrigued to find so much, so much of a Scandinavian heritage in the Seattle area. It's pretty interesting. So one day she sees this Swedish magazine. It appears in her mailbox. Uh, she has no idea who sent it, and she couldn't read the words because it wasn't in her tongue. She, she, apparently she didn't know the language. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden she sees a photo uh, that stops her cold, um, and it's in a primitive setting 
uh, there's a grave with a white cross. And on the cross were the words, Sevilla flood. Okay? I mean, her mother. So Aggie, she jumps in the car, and she goes straight for a college faculty member who could translate this magazine to see. Uh, she says, what does it say? What does it say? So he summarizes the story. He says, it's about missionaries who had come to Indalera long ago. Uh, there's the birth of a white baby, uh, the death of the young mother, uh, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how after the whites had all left, the, bo- the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. Okay, that's pretty cool. The article said that gradually he won all the students to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. And today there were 600 Christian believers in that one village. It's like, that's awesome. All because of David and Sevea flood. Okay, so the story goes on. The hearse, they have their 25th wedding anniversary. And the college presented them with a gift vacation to Sweden. Okay. And so it was there Aggie sought to find her real dad. So she's, she's searching for him. Uh, as an old man now, David flooded, remarried, and he had four more children, um, and he was an alcoholic. So all these years, because he had rejected God, he was bitter towards God, he harbored this bitterness just like Jacob, all these years go by, he becomes an alcoholic. Um, just hated, just couldn't take God. Uh, he suffered a stroke. <clears throat> Still bitter, he had one rule in his family. You will not say the name of God in this family. Can you imagine that? Because God took everything from me, is what he said. She finally finds him. And after an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brings up the father, the subject of seeing her father, you know, about God. And the others say, hey, uh, uh, don't say that. You can't talk to him. Uh, he's very ill now. And... Um, Whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Please don't talk about God to him. Okay, but you need... So Aggie was not deterred. She walks into the dirty apartment, liquor bottles everywhere. She approaches a 77-year-old man lying on the bed. She says, Papa. And he turned to her and began to cry. Aina, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she said taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. All our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face to the wall. (coughs) Aggie stroked his face and continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story I want to tell you. And it's a true one. You did not go to Africa in vain. Mama did not die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today, Papa, there's 600 people serving the Lord because you are faithful to the God of calling your life. Papa, Jesus loves you so much. He's never hated you. The old man turned back to look at his daughter's eyes and his body relaxed. You know, God is so good. And he began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. Over the next few days, father and daughter 
You can imagine their reunion, just like Jacob and Joseph. I mean, God is so good. It's incredible. So they had a reunion for a number of weeks, and then she returned back to her husband in America. And within those few weeks, he died. Just, I mean, exactly like Jacob. I mean, God is so good. It doesn't stop here, though. It's incredible. A few years later, the Hursts were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from the nation of Zaire. Zaire was the uh, former Belgian Congo. Okay, so now they're at this high-level conference. The superintendent of the National Church of Zaire, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke up. And Aggie could not help going to him afterwards. And she said, she asked him, have you ever heard of David and Savea Flood? And he said, yes. He said, yes, madam. Savea Flood led me to Jesus Christ. That was the little boy. That was the little boy. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grace and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing, sobbing hug, and then he continued, You must come to Africa and see, because your mother is the most famous in our history. It's just awesome. In that time, that's exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They went to this village, and they were welcomed. I mean, they were, the whole village came out to greet them, and they're shouting and cheering. Just incredible. She even met the man who uh, had been hired by her father many years ago to carry her back down the mountain in a little cradle to take her out of the country. And the most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. And she, she knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks. <clears throat> Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John fourteen twenty four. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I mean, can you, can you comprehend that? I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend Jacob. The only thing I know is great is thy faithfulness. Lord unto me. And the message for us today is simple. If you've been the person that's walked in that resentment and bitterness and circumstances, I don't care if it's physical pain or disease or death or loss or whatever it is. I mean, we all, we all undergo trials. And the message for you is faithful is He who called you and He will do it. Do what? Well, preceding that verse is sanctification. He's going to transform you into His likeness from glory to glory, period, because you're His children. He is going to work all things together for good because you love God and have been called according to His purpose, period. Period. Regardless of where you are, regardless of how faithless you are right now in your seat, God is going to do that because faithful is He who called you and He will do it. He who began a good work in you 
will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the message that God wants you to hear today. Doesn't matter where you've been. Wherever you've been, now is the time to take your eyes off of wherever they've been. Now is the time to receive God's faithfulness, God's goodness. Let God restore you. Let God just revive your, your hurting spirit, your, holding, your hurting soul. He's going to do it, I guarantee it. He, I read two awesome examples. That's God. That's our God. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.